Popcorn Poops is brought to you by Audible.com. Please visit audibletrial.com slash popcornpoops for a free audiobook and free 30-day trial of their subscription service. Audible is the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 150,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. Audible.com is offering a free audiobook download to listeners of Popcorn Poops along with a 30-day trial of their services. This week we're recommending The Wind-Up Bird Chronicle by Haruki Murakami, narrated by Rupert Degas. To download this or another audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash popcornpoops. Be sure to visit the correct URL so they know we sent you, and you'll be helping to support our show. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash popcornpoops for your free audiobook. My name is Jessica. And my name is Dustin. We are the Popcorn Poops. Here at Popcorn Poops HQ, we produce a movie podcast and commentary track hybrid that may be synced up to whatever film we're talking about or enjoyed as a standalone audio program. Today we will be watching the 1984 film Gremlins, directed by Joe Dante. If you are syncing this recording up to the movie, go ahead and start the film and then press pause as soon as the Warner Brothers vanity card completely fades to black. It's time to start the movie. Sinkers, press play at the beep after the countdown. Ready? Three, two, one. And this is the second movie in our month of holiday films, um, 1984's Gremlins. A classic, I guess, right? This yeah. is This is your... I guess it would be considered a classic. And again, I feel like I do this a lot, but I have a, another movie confession. Um, and I feel like uh-huh. every time I make a movie confession, it, it it qualifies me less and less and less to actually have a movie podcast. Oh yeah, go ahead. Um, Let's hear your movie confession. But I, I think I think <laughs> I saw this once when I was a child, and it had no real impression on me. It was not an important film to me growing up at all, and uh, I only watched it again for the first time since then. Since I maybe watched it as a kid uh, last week, preparing for this. Really. I'm and surprised um, about that. you know, saying that it's a classic is kind of interesting because I've discovered, uh, probably to the chagrin of many people who love this movie, that this is kind of a bad movie. It is. It is kind of bad. It's kind of a mess. There's a lot, and we'll talk about it. But there are a lot of things about this movie that don't that don't make. I mean, and it doesn't have to make sense because it's kind of a screwball horror comedy Christmas movie. It's very very strange mix of things. Um, but characters. Oh, look, it's short round. <laughs> yes, and this uh, also it's kind of racist and xenophobic, and yes, it is, and justifies xenophobic characters for their for their their prejudices and all that kind of stuff. It's there are lots of really strange things in this movie. Characters get dropped off, character arcs don't get completed, uh, and we'll you know we'll discuss all that. I'm sure, but yeah, I you know if you're a big fan of Gremlins, this episode is. <laughs> probably going to piss you off because I'm at least I'm going to rail on it now your experience with this movie your history with this movie has been what exactly Uh, well this was this was my uh nightmare fodder when I was a kid oh okay nightmare fuel yeah okay this was um when I think so this came out in 84 and I was born in 87 yeah and I think my parents must have had it on like for themselves at some point when I was very young and I have this vague memory of coming in and sort of watching it like from the hallway or the bedroom door or something like that where you know I wasn't really supposed to be watching it but 
they weren't they weren't telling me to go away at maybe as strongly as they should have. Mm-hmm. You know, I crept out of bed or something. And whatever I saw as a child, um, it it just destroyed me for years <laughs> of my life. <laughs> like so, so like you had nightmares about this movie. It scared you a lot. The two movies that scared me were Gremlins and and Chucky. Chucky scared me. Really? The that's so strange. Like, because they're both kind of... And I of, never watched them. The, the strange thing is, is that they're both kind of known for being... Comedy Comedies. Like, yeah. yeah, horror comedy movies. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly a horror element to this movie, and I think so much, much more so for the Child's Play films. But... Um, can you call them films? Are they films? Do they deserve to be called films? <laughs> sure. But... Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, that, that's kind of strange. Of course, I didn't have that experience. The the types, the kind of movies that scared me when I was a kid, uh, like It. It was a big one for me. Stephen King's It. Um, but yeah, certainly nothing that was like unconventionally horror like this or something that maybe wasn't necessarily horror. I, I, I guess maybe my one example is the beginning of Total Recall. <laughs> When Arnold Schwarzenegger's character is having the dream of being on Mars and his, you know, his helmet breaks and his eyes bug out, that scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. Huh. Uh, but yeah, the, this certainly wasn't one of those. Um, no, this movie. It. I mean, I distinctly remember being terrified of Gremlins. Like when my parents, when I'd wake up crying from a nightmare, and my parents would come and try and figure out what was wrong. It was always Gremlins. It was Gremlins. I was terrified of them i never even watched this movie and my parents like as i got older and i got into like elementary school and later elementary school my parents were like because i would watch scary movies i would watch other scary movies and i wasn't a kid that got freaked out by them and they continually told me it you really should just watch gremlins because it's really not scary it's kind of funny it's a funny movie and i just would have none of it until maybe like the end of elementary school because it, it, it blew up in my mind it expanded into like the the most terrifying thing kind because of aggrandized it because a bit, I never yeah. watched it and and so those glimpses that I had as a child um they were so much worse and and when I finally watched it when I was maybe in later elementary school or something I was like oh wait a minute this <laughs> this is not scary it's actually pretty funny I thought it was funny as a kid so at least I don't think it's quite as funny now. I've already said that this is kind of a bad movie. Um, it's also kind of a bad Christmas movie because a lot of the themes that we talked about in Christmas movies when we talked last week about John McTiernan's Die Hard, uh, which I think absolutely works as a Christmas film, this doesn't at all. Like it, oh, and look at this billboard here. Indiana Jones much? This is uh, well. This is like one of the first. Uh, ways that this movie sort of rips off Steven Spielberg's other films, uh, films that he has, uh, you know, not not only directed, but also produced, and then films that he would come to produce later. And the more movies that we do on this show uh, and analyze that, that come from some kind of Spielbergian <laughs> influence, whether as a producer or as a director or as a writer, uh, I, I've, I've come to learn that he rehashes and recycles a lot of ideas and visual motifs and and things uh you know of course he was uh, famously a a producer on back to the future which was not yet made which was not a film yet this is 1984 back to the future is 1985 uh and this town that they're in kingston falls in this film is the same set is the same set as hill valley 
from uh, from Back to the Future, and That's I, it's cool. a it's a <clears throat> I guess it's a Warner Brothers backlot called the Court Courthouse Square. I, believe I heard is the I heard it was used in a lot of. It's been used for a long time, is what I heard. <laughs> and some of the movies that I found that it had been used for were like Inherit the Wind and To Kill a Mockingbird. Oh wow! Even as far back as that, yeah, yeah. yeah it's it's really it's it's really strange. Um, you would think with a with a backlot set as big as this, they would use it more. But if you look at the films that it's used in. It only comes up one every few years, so it makes me wonder what's the point of keeping it around? Mm. You know what I mean? Like if it's, if a backlot set is that big and it's taking up that much space, you'd think that they would use it for multiple films every year. Yeah. But if you just you can look there's an entire Wikipedia page about Warner Brothers Courthouse Square set and it's, you know, there there are a lot of movies but not as many as you would think for them to keep that thing around, right? Mm. Um, so here we have uh, we've got our main character, uh, Billy, uh, played by uh, what's his name? I don't I don't <laughs> I don't know. I have I have no idea what this guy's name is. Uh, he's gone on to do some other stuff, but uh, I, I I don't really know what he's done. I, I haven't followed him. But the guy he's talking to is pretty famous, isn't he? Yeah, he's a he's a. You can't say famous because he's a character actor, but but uh, I know it. Like I know him, I recognize him. Um, the guy, the neighbor who is the the super xenophobe. Like he's got so many issues with foreigners. I and it's oh not yeah, the Bill, whole... yeah, that's right. Billy's played by Zach Galligan, who's in you know films like the Waxwork series and stuff like that. Other B horror things. Mister um, Futterman is played by a character actor by the name of Dick Miller, who's been in just a, a ton of stuff. Like, he's got one of those instantly recognizable faces. Um, but yeah, he's uh, he's been around for a while. This, again, this is written by Chris Columbus, who also wrote uh, the young Sherlock Holmes movie that we watched a couple of weeks ago. Really? Yeah. Written by the same guy? Written by the same How guy. How is that possible? I, I don't know, but he's done like a gajillion Christmas movies. <laughs> That's the thing that I, I, I realized is how, you know, because we're doing this for December as a Christmas movie, and we even talked about how young Sherlock Holmes kind of was a nice segue into this into month Christmas, of Christmas yeah. movies. Uh, going back through his body of work, films that he's both directed and written, uh, he's done a lot of Christmas stuff. Uh, for example, most recently, Christmas with the Cranks, of course, Gremlins, Young Sherlock Holmes. Uh, he directed Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone and Chamber of Secrets, with which both have kind of significant Christmas portions. Yeah. Uh, Home Alone and Home Alone 2, Lost in New oh. York, which are both Christmas films. So it's... Wow. I don't know. What, what's up with but, Chris Columbus but doing what Christmas what I was movies? saying about, like, how, how can it be that he wrote both of them is that... Um, I thought young Sherlock Holmes, like, like it wasn't a perfect script by any means, but I thought it was okay. It was yeah, it was passable. Fun. It, was it was fun, fine. sure. Um, this movie, like, the biggest problem with this movie is that <clears throat> it starts off in the very beginning when the dad is looking for a present for his son in Chinatown. Yeah. It starts off in the very beginning with, a, and it's got, like, that noir film kind of... Overtone, yeah, he's narrating or, over himself. Mm-hmm. It's and he's kind got of a like the fedora alley. on and stuff. Yeah, he and... walks by a, a broken down car, which is actually is, is an AMC Gremlin. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, it's kind of a cute <laughs> little piece of trivia. 
But anyways, like, and he's walking and he's talking about, you know, I didn't know what I was doing that night when I was in Chinatown. And I was, whatever. Like, he's telling the story in, in, a, in a deep voice. And, right. And, and by the end of it, he, he basically sets up a traditional folktale moral where, where our basis has something to do, we know, with Chinese folklore of some sort because we've got these, this mogwai thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is actually a Chinese word, kind mm-hmm. of mispronounced. I can't pronounce it correctly, but it's closer to something like mogui or something like that, mm-hmm. which does mean like demon or monster. Or yeah, I have, I have the whole etymology of it here, but, but I'll go into that later. But yeah. anyways, like, so, so he's, he's telling this backstory and uh, he's, or he's setting up this story and we get the impression that, that this is going to be a, like, traditional folklore kind of driven moral tale like the sort of thing where you expect at the end of the movie for there to be a very distinct maxim right right a very distinct moral that they're going to plainly tell us and he does he does at the very end his narrative voice comes back and he says something but it just doesn't make any fucking sense and it's just it's it's nothing <laughs> it's throwaway and the whole movie is kind of like that where <clears throat> they they set up these story elements and and they make it seem like it's going to be a clear cut story like we've i mean even here right now we've got we've got billy talking to mrs um, deagle mrs deagle aka uh Miss Gulch, Gulch from right. the Wizard of Oz, basically like it's basically the same character. She's that and Scrooge. Yeah, she is. She is the Scrooge-like character, but she even has her own like like wicked kind of theme song when she's walking down the street. And uh, she's talking about what she, how the many ways in which she's going to kill his dog. Right. right so now. The, her his dog Billy's dog trespasses on Mrs. Deagle's property and kills like or or destroys her like porcelain Bavarian snowman as she calls it. And then she says she wants to take the dog to have it killed or that she's going to kill it, which is basically the exact same motivation, like right down to the to it's a dog in The Wizard of Oz, which we did a few weeks ago. Yeah. Like and she even kind of dresses like Miss Gulch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And her whole mannerism. I'm wondering if maybe the character was just intentionally. I mean, it has to be, has to be, right? Like, it's too, it's too obviously. Like, the only thing she doesn't say is something like, and your little dog, too, or something like that. Like, yeah, well, she, she looks right at the dog and says, I'll get you, which is yeah. one of the lines that. And so, I mean, it obviously is a, a callback to that. So maybe her performance is also a callback to that because the way she holds herself, too, the way she holds her bag and sort of just her her cadence and everything. So this guy sitting next to Billy at the at the bar is Chuck Jones, legendary <laughs> oh, animator and I was voice wondering. Actor. I had I had a note about that and my note was basically who the hell is this old man who is sitting here who we briefly saw in the bank? I think it was the same he was in the bank too. Oh, was he? I and, didn't see. And he when she talked about how she was going to kill his dog by putting it in a spin dryer, I think. Right. He was like, "Well, that'll do it." Oh yeah, I don't think that was him. Oh, it wasn't okay. Yeah. It was a different guy. Um, but anyway, so so he's sitting here at the bar, just giving him art advice, and I had no idea what what that meant, but you just answered it. Yeah, so. like all of this stuff that they're setting up right now is so superfluous. It doesn't actually matter. Like they they set it up, and nothing happens to, uh, with it. Right now, we've got Judge Reinhold's character, who is a very you know 
well-to-do or up-and-coming cutthroat, you could even say, you get that from his personality, uh, junior vice president of the bank that Billy works at, and he's talking about how he's setting himself up with various you know forms of ass-kissery to be the new vice president or president of the bank by the time he's like 25 years old. Yeah, he, he says he's 23. That's 23? Yeah, he, he yes. He says he's My 23 God. now. He expects to be the president of the bank by the time he's 25 and then a millionaire by the time he's 30. So that's his whole deal. And he's got a motivation. And you can sense that there's some kind of rivalry between him and Billy. But then Mr. Futterman uh, sets up the this idea that Billy is uh, a cartoonist, an amateur cartoonist, and when is he going to get his stuff in the paper and stuff like that? And then we see at the bar, he's sitting next to Chuck Jones, or the character that Chuck Jones is playing just as a cameo, and he's like doing this drawing of Mrs. Deagle as like the Jabberwocky, right? As this big monster that that he that some hero is fighting with a sword, right? right. None of the drawing stuff, none of the cartooning stuff ever Isn't matters. Isn't that the last time we see his coworker? Uh, no, we see his coworker one more time in passing as he walks through the bank and says hello to the the bank vice president again, and then disappears. And that's it. I mean, it. they set it up. They set it up as a rivalry right there. They oh, even yeah. made it like a romantic rivalry because he was hitting on the girl. At exactly. The bar. He's 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 hitting on Kate, uh, who's played by Phoebe Cates. Who and I love how they were just like, well, we want her in the scene at the bank, and we also want her in the scene at the bar. So let's just make her work. Two jobs. Yeah, exactly. She works two jobs. So you can see she's his coworker at the bank early in the day. And it, you know, it, it's strange that a guy who's an aspiring cartoonist has such a button down job as a bank teller, but that's fine, whatever. And then he goes to the bar later and she's working the bar too. <laughs> and doesn't and didn't he make a comment too, like, oh, you're working here now or something like that? And then oh, you're I like, didn't hear, maybe, maybe, and maybe I think didn't. she said she was helping out her sister or something, or some somebody, so somebody didn't have to pay for a waitress or something like that on uh, I don't know yeah. and anyways it doesn't matter Do- but the, the whole the concept of Dory's tavern like there being a bar uh, only really exists to help set up that Mrs. Deagle much like Miss Gulch owns lots of the town she owns a real estate agency that basically buys up properties in the town and she wants to make the town hers she wants to, or you get the the impression that she wants to kind of shape this town in the way that she seems fit and uh, Phoebe Kate's character Kate uh, doesn't like the way she's going about this. Lots of people don't go but like don't like the way she's going about this, and she wants to close down Dory's tavern. So she's ha- trying to get Billy to sign uh, a petition to make the tavern a landmark. So she's helping out somehow by volunteer working at the bar. Sure, I think that's maybe, what I got but does out of that. It, I mean, does it even come back at all? Yeah, yeah, because she is volunteering because the guy, uh, his co-worker, I forget his name again because he's only in the movie for like five seconds. Um, but Oh, the Judge Reinhold yes, character. Yeah, yeah, that character. He, he makes a comment to her about like not getting paid for her work and like how that makes her less of a person somehow, right, and right. then proceeds to hit on her, which is yeah. totally the smart move. Um, so <laughs> that's what you do is you make fun of a girl. I mean, that's and, and that's all well and good. And and the things that we're going to continue bringing up all of the little weird inconsistencies and thrown away plot lines and thrown away character arcs and things. And it basically comes down to this movie was way too long when they wrote it, and 
apparently the original cut of this movie is two hours and 40 minutes long. Oh my God, I want to see that so hard. No, I don't. I don't need any more of this movie than there already is. No, that would be awesome. Okay, but here's the reason, right here, right here, this is the reason why this movie is okay. This is what saves, it makes the whole movie totally worth it. Gizmo, needlessly voiced by Howie Mandel. (laughs) Why? Who cares? Why is he voiced by Howie Mandel? so cute. Oh, my God. Yes. Okay. Oh, my God. Yes. Gizmo's adorable. The we cute, know this. The cute factor with Gizmo is just when he does his angry face and he does his little sad pouty face. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. He's so cute. Why is he Why is he called Gizmo? I don't know. Why? Uh, it's another thing that was cut out of the movie. Uh, apparently, oh, I there's a. You were gonna tell me something. No, the, apparently there's, and this <laughs> this makes sense. Like this is a scene I would have liked to see in this movie because it gives character where there is none. But you know, alas, uh, there sh- there was a scene where Gizmo and Billy's father Rand, uh, who's this inventor guy, who at the beginning of the movie we didn't talk about it, but at the beginning of the movie he was in the Chinese curio shop and in. in in uh, in Chinatown, right trying, when he was doing the noir voice and stuff, right, trying to sell this invention called the bathroom buddy, which is just this big brick that's got a, it's like a the Swiss a Swiss Army knife of like uh, toiletries, right? It's got like a razor and a toothbrush, and, and a mostly it's a and, gag joke for you know spraying toothpaste all over everyone, which they do twice, har har har, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and there's was a scene where on the way back home he stops in a hotel. And he's playing with Gizmo, and Gizmo's in the bathroom, like, messing with the bathroom buddy. So he's like, oh, I'm going to call you Gizmo because you like gizmos. That's cute. Right? Here's really cute when Gizmo's singing a song. Oh, and he's playing it on the keyboard, uh, copying him like huh. uh, like the Sounds end of... Sounds a little of, bit like another the, movie I've seen. Um, Like Close Encounters <laughs> of the Third Kind? Perhaps, mm, the last, perhaps. Uh, the last famous scene of Close Encounters of the Third Kind? Perhaps, perhaps that one. And the uh, the song even sounds, sounds kind of like it. Like yeah. It. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. That's only one of so many examples where Steven Spielberg has just ripped off his own movies, even movies that he hasn't made yet. <laughs> you know, like uh, we missed a bunch of them. Oh, but it, Gizmo with the Santa hat. At the beginning of the movie, uh, Billy is walking through town because his car won't start, which is another like little convenient plot point that ends up not mattering in the end really it's like it's a it's a contrivance and a convenient i don't even know what it is like it matters but it doesn't i don't know but he's walking through town to get to work and uh, he walks by a a movie theater and on the marquee uh what does it say it says uh a boy's life and watching the skies and or watch, something the like that? Skies, watch the skies which were uh <laughs> Which were working titles for E.T. the Extraterrestrial and Close Encounters of the Third Kind, respectively. Oh, that's cute. This is my favorite gizmo scene right here. Look at those pouty lips. Look, look. And when, when, he's he, bandaging when he puts his head. the little band-aid on his head and gizmo's got the frowny face. Oh, my God. He's so cute. <laughs> oh, the, the, the character that, uh, that Judge little, Reinhold plays is named, uh, is named Gerald. Uh, and one of, I mean, he could have been a great like villain for this movie, like a great human villain that that Billy is a rival with. But 
of course. Right, and then like dies graphically. Yeah, you know, like as pay, as kind of like kind of like Mrs. Deagle does. Right, like Mrs. Yeah. Deagle dies. Same uh, kind of thing. Like set him up to be a real asshole and then kill him dramatically. Yeah, exactly. I mean, exactly. that's what these kind of movies are for, right? Like that's the purpose. But like just to to drive that home that he's such an asshole. The drink that he orders at the bar is a vodka martini shaken, not stirred. He he orders James Bond's <sighs> fucking drink. What a fucking dick bag. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, we've we've established that um, that I, I like this look that he gives the juicer right here as, as he takes a glass <laughs> I mean, yeah, and just that's, kind of that's kind of the look that looks I would over give his shoulder. Anything in this house. One of the questions because we have established that his father Rand is an inventor, so lots right, of these things in their house, a, but nothing horrible, works. He's a horrible terrible inventor. inventor. Exactly. Um, here's here's one of my questions about you know just like how things work in this world. How I get the impression that the mom is a stay at home mom. Because all we ever see her doing when she's not in a very badass way killing gremlins, which is right. super fantastic toward the end of the movie. Um, when she's not doing that, though, the only thing I ever see her doing is chopping a massive pile of disgusting onions or um, or decorating gingerbread men. Yeah. So I get the impression she does not have a job. Right. Where is ma- their money coming from? Because he's not selling ass- these inventions. No, I assume that Rand is somewhat successful because he talks about some, you know, people having his inventions and selling them for him. So, I mean, I, I get the feeling that he's somewhat successful in what he does. Like, you can just look around and see. Like, yeah, he's kind of a shitty inventor, but he's made something that works at some point. Right? So. <laughs> but, yeah, it's. um. So this movie, is this the racing one? Is this the racing movie? Yes, With yes. With Clark Gable in it, right? Yes, yes, that's right. It's called To Please a Lady. That's right, starring and, Clark Gable and Barbara Stanwyck. And so this is going to come back because right now Gizmo's really into it and he's he's driving the car and he's making cute little noises and bouncing and that's real cute. And later he's going to get in the toy car and do it and that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. But... but he quotes like really weird stuff from, or, th- or, the or like the the movie is quoted in his head, right, but the movie's yeah. quote is not. Uh, it, it doesn't have. Anything there's no to do. relevance right. to Gizmo like driving the car through the toy store, through the department store at the he end says of the movie. Something about like it takes a certain kind of dame or something like that. And you're just <laughs> something like, what? stupid. Yeah. <laughs> what, what are we talking about? Yeah. Um, one of one of just many very ridiculous things, and this is this is Corey Feldman. You know, uh, a child of the '80s, a stalwart of the '80s, from the in Goonies, a ton of right? stuff from the Goonies, from 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 Lost Boys, from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, playing the voice of Donatello. I mean, that's one of his lesser roles, but um, oh, this is cute too, where he's blinking and then Gizmo's blinking. Yeah, it's adorable. But Corey Feldman's character again—he's set up in this movie as something like he's the kid in the neighborhood who's kind of spunky and he wants one of the the mogwai um but then after this scene what do we even, we see him one other I time think we see him in the high school i think he's leaving the he high leaves school the classroom high school, right and he's trying as to... billy's bringing in gizmo <clears throat> to be looked at by the science teacher no 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 i think aren't they together at one point when they're with the high school teacher and they're looking at gizmo that's right and then in a later scene he says something he's trying to get the teacher's attention right before the teacher's death scene and the teacher won't pay attention to him right that's right and he's, he's talking about the pupil stage of mm-hmm. of the of the gremlins. and then and then we see him shooting Shooting, uh, like, uh, uh, what are they? It's a, it's a triple. 
Yeah, I, you, you, they look kind of like Tribbles when they come they off do. of Gizmo. They do. They do look I, like Tribbles. I, it really concerns me that they're not more concerned with Gizmo like writhing in pain and screaming in yeah, this scene. that is a problem. Like if I had an adorable little animal and I spilled water on it and it started screaming and writhing around, I would be panicking. Yeah. I would start crying. I, <laughs> I, what I would, have I done? <laughs> what have I done? Oh, God. <laughs> Oh god! And he's still doing it, and he's popping out these other little gremlins. And yeah, they look like Tribbles. Here's the other thing about Tribbles: Tribbles were racists. Did you know that? Were they? They were. Why were they racist? Every I time don't... Klingons came around, they made like this horrible noise and freaked out. Oh no! Yeah, it's true. That's a true thing. Well, that's the, the, there's kind of a connection there because so, like, this movie's kind of racist. Too. Thematically, yeah, exactly. it ties into this. That's right. Movie. That's a that's a motif. Uh, racism, xenophobia, is a motif. <laughs> Of gremlins. Of of small furry balls you, of things. That's right. You heard it here first. <laughs> uh, and so we get uh, we get our, I guess, our villain of the movie. And this is Stripe. Stripe is one of the Mogwai who uh, who hatches from, from Gizmo. And he's got a little mohawk on his head. If Stripe wasn't there, would the other ones be evil? I mean, how about the fat one that they put in the cage? Do you think he'd be evil? <laughs> I, I'm not sure. Because <laughs> he's pretty cute. Yeah, I'm. I'm not sure. It is. It, it. It. all does seem to be kind of orchestrated at some point by. Well, Stripe. they say they say he's the leader, and right. he's the one who's like calling Gizmo, Gizmo Kaka, and so, so and stuff so like stupid. that. And they all laugh at Gizmo. And like five minutes ago, not even five minutes ago, a minute ago, Corey Feldman was like, "Oh, how? Where can I get one of these? I want to get one." And that just <laughs> and now he doesn't want one. It sets. Yeah, it sets up the moment where he knocks the jar of water over, and you know, five more Mogwai are born, and then he just walks away and starts looking at a comic book, and he's like, "Oh, it's totally neat. I don't even care." Oh, anymore. that comic book they were looking at, though. I looked it up online. Oh my god, what is it? The the Hooded Menace issue number one. If if this really was like an original copy of the comic book, you can find it online now, going for like four hundred and seventy five dollars. Wow, that's that's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, it's it's no it's no what is it? Amazing Fantasy fourteen or whatever first appearance of Spider Man that went for like over a million dollars. It's an auction. <laughs> yeah. Um. So this character of Rand Peltzer, played by Hoyt Axton, who is a who's another uh, character actor from you know years gone by. Um. I think he does a really good job with this. Um. One of their first choices for this role was actually an actor by the name of Pat Hingle, who maybe most famously for people of our generation, probably most famously played Commissioner Gordon in Tim Burton's Batman films. Okay. And apparently he did a really, really great screen test and a really great audition. Uh, and <laughs> he was set to play the role, but uh, Steven Spielberg thought that he was too good and would steal the movie. So they decided to put Hoyt Axton in the role instead. And now we've got uh, Gizmo playing a little trumpet under the Christmas tree and all of and the other cute. all of the other Mogwai playing a little tabletop Donkey Kong game. And uh, this character of Rand is talking to Billy uh, about them maybe marketing the gremlins and selling them as the Peltzer pet, selling them as one of his inventions because they're so easily, you know, uh, 
replicatable. Um, they can multiply. And it so seems easily. like that totally makes sense, right? Yeah, exactly. That he it's, would do that. That's part of his character. Right. And when they set it up, to me, it sounds like for someone who isn't very familiar with the movie, when I saw him, when I heard him saying that, I'm like, okay, so they're going to start selling these things and they're going to get them in a bunch of houses and then shit's going to go wrong, right? right? It, that sounds perfect. So that it's sounds be, like a story. Exactly. Like a Wides, plot. Widespread chaos, widespread damage with these gremlins transforming because idiots don't know how to take care of their pets and that could have been another you know through line is that people don't know how to take care of animals and they try to anyway and and uh, we've got something going on with that too like we've got a dog situation with the old woman you know like yeah, there's he's not keeping a that. leash like on his dog it's maybe it's all kind or... of set up but you know i mean I, you've heard about studies about like during christmas time there are more animals that go to pet shelters or go to animal shelters than any other time of the year because People give pets to their kids and then their kids can't take care of them and then they realize it's too big of a burden and they, they don't want to take care of them anymore. So they give them away. They give them to animal shelters where they end up being euthanized. You know, that's that was a whole that, that's still to this day a big problem. And that could have been an interesting little angle on this movie. But that's the end of it. Like when he mentions yeah. the Peltzer and, pet. And nothing else. That's it. We never see it again. That's the thing this movie keeps doing is it, it keeps setting up stuff that, that it seems does like nothing with well, it at seems all. like well, that's that's a that's an interesting little thing here. We've got like some characterization going on, and then they just drop it. For instance, at the very beginning, we saw um, we saw that I guess he was the chief of police, maybe or one of the cops in town at least. He goes up to the tree lot where they're selling what's left of the Christmas trees. And, and he's like, oh, you guys still got a lot of trees out here. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to get a free tree for the police station. And he's like, right. why don't you just buy one like everybody else? And so we get the idea that, oh, this this uh, chief of police is kind of, um, at, like we thought he would, I kind of thought that maybe he was coming to crack down on him for doing something. But no, he's come to try and like swindle a free tree out of him. So this is, a shady character, an interesting, interesting plot point here, a little twist of, no, nothing. We're going to get nothing. nothing. We're even going to go to the police station. I'm pretty sure there's not even one of those Christmas trees in there. And that would be such, maybe maybe they do. Maybe, maybe I'll see. I don't know. But maybe I, it's just tucked away in the background <clears throat> somewhere, yeah. But the first time I watched it, I did not see that, the first time I watched it for this, I did not see one of the Christmas trees in there. And I was like, well, that... That's that would be like a point right there is more character characterization for this cop by showing that he did swindle a tree out of this guy. Um, but they just kind of leave everything hanging. And then and I think the last we even see of the cops is, oh, they get blown up in their car or something. <coughs> yeah, they, it they doesn't die. matter. It, it, none of no, it matters. None of it matters. Every almost every single character arc is left dangling or just disappears entirely. Even like this little dumb relationship that Billy has with Kate, there's nothing to it. Like the the climax of their relationship, the the peak of their arc is when they're in the department store and he's like, "I'm gonna go take care of these gremlins. I'll see you later, baby." And he gives her a little peck and grabs a baseball bat and walks away. Like that's the that's the crowning moment of their relationship in this movie. It's there's just there's nothing to it. Like it's all either so it's either just completely dismissed outright. Like these arcs are completely dim dismissed outright and not completed, or when they are followed through to some kind of semblance of completion, they're just weak sauce. It's weak sauce. And then you know we're gonna eventually we're gonna get to the point where the gremlins have transformed or the Mogwai have transformed into the titular gremlins, and we have at at least two if not more i think there's at least two 
extended scenes of just gremlins shenanigans and I, I guess the conservative word for to describe these scenes would be a little overlong overlong the probably the word I would probably use is fucking interminable <laughs> they're oh my god they just never stop and you know you think that when they've done it all they're like well we're gonna see a scene where the gremlins are tearing up the the bar right and you think that the, they're coming to the end of the scene, but nope, they've got to do like a little Casablanca spoof. And then they're going to do a flash dance spoof. And then they're going to do another spoof with the gremlins. And then they do the same thing inside the movie theater where they're just, you know, wrecking the movie theater and they start singing hi ho to uh, along to. But it, okay, now to Snow you're, White and Seven I know, I'm complaining about something that is like a selling point of this kind of movie. And right, I get that's, that, that's, but, that's what I'm saying is that I. I understand. I I do agree that the scenes are a little long. And I mean, obviously, this movie is, like I said, it starts off with some not bad characterization. Like we start off with a decent story and then we just forget it. It's like we forget we're talking about it. But however, though, you're complaining about the stupid stuff in the movie. I don't I don't think that that's as easy to complain about because it's. Uh, that's why people watch this movie. Sure, they don't no. like us us bitching about the plot points or whatever. Nobody really cares because the reason they go to see this is to see the gremlins put on the flash dance leg warmers and spin around. I agree, but I wouldn't care as much about those scenes being so long if there were so if there weren't so many other things that are just in unfinished in this movie. Just things that don't make sense, things that they don't even care to complete. Character, but, character but is the core saying... of any good story, and this movie doesn't give a shit about character. Weren't you saying though that you are? You did say that this was a two and a half hour movie before. So yeah, clearly, it was. Clearly, the problem is is that they just cut too much. Or I mean, they who, just had to cut too much. I mean, who's to say that even the two and a half hour cut had all of the things that I'm asking from yeah. this movie? But there's a way to tie all that stuff up. But they just start a bunch of things that never go anywhere and it drives me crazy watching this but movie. But maybe they do. Maybe they do. I mean, if how long is this? How long uh, an hour minutes or something 90 minutes a 90 yeah. minute movie. So it's like an hour and a half. If you add another hour onto this, I hope that, you know, we get better endings with all our characters that we get tie-ups for their their relationships and stuff. By the way here, so she says she makes the comment about the suicide rate Right. In the holidays. Yeah. And says that it's always highest around the holidays. You know that's a myth, right? I did not know that's a myth. That's just something I've always kind of taken at face value. Yeah, it's a myth. And people have been saying it for years and years. It's all over the internet. Like, there are articles and stuff Mm -hmm. all about it. And, oh, the suicide rate at the holidays, it's always the worst. set us straight. People are... So, no, it's not. It's a myth. The CDC says that December is actually the lowest month for suicide. Oh my god, of course, right? <laughs> and that the peaks are actually in spring and fall. And they're actually the CDC is very upset about this myth being uh continued because they think that it deters from like real suicide awareness and stuff. Right. So So um the more you know. A couple of things that that we we skimmed over that I wanted to mention was uh the the scene where uh, Gizmo is watching TV, the, the the movie To Please a Lady. We talked about that a little bit. Does that remind you of any other scene from another movie where a strange creature is watching TV and Oh, kind things? of like... A black and white film even, perhaps? Black and white film? Uh, yeah, the, no, the, the creature is watching a black oh, okay. and white film yeah. on TV. Well, I mean, obviously it's what could, what could Oh, yes, yes, it, of course. 
E.T., the extraterrestrial. The one where a little kid gets drunk in class. Yes. <laughs> yes, that's right. Um, in Billy's room, there's actually a rolled up poster of Twilight Zone, the movie. Yeah, I saw that. Which, uh, interestingly, was not only produced by Steven Spielberg, but also one of the segments, Kick the Can, was directed by Steven Spielberg. And Joe Dante actually directed uh, one of the other segments called, what, what is it called? It's a Good Life or something like that. It's a Great Life, something. It's the one where the little kid can, anything that he imagines happens. Do you remember that that segment? Mm-hmm. I don't know if I remember. It's that really one. strange. It's it's um, probably my least. What favorite about segment. Road Warrior? Because that poster was prominent in the room. Does that have some tie-in? Uh, absolutely. Actually, it does because George Miller, who directed the Road Warrior, also directed the final segment of the Twilight Zone movie, which is a uh, a remake of the famous <laughs> epi- famous episode Nightmare at Twenty Thousand Feet, right? Which is about gremlins, right? It's about a gremlin. I was who's actually fucking with that was one that I was gonna. I was going to bring up. Yeah. So all of that stuff's, you know, kind of tied together. And because it's it's interesting, but yeah. It I think it's it's interesting and they're fun little tie-ins if you know where to look for them, but it's Easter eggs. East yeah, they're Easter eggs, but it also feels a little bit masturbatory to me. It's it's one of the things about this movie, especially with all of the Steven Spielberg wanking and whatnot going on in this movie, I don't know. It just it doesn't sit with me the right way. Like when Stripe says "phone home" and oh stuff. Oh my god! Right? There's a lot of it. You know, one of Steven Spielberg's contemporaries is, of course, George Lucas, and the Gremlins look like when they're transformed into Gremlins. I wouldn't say look unlike Yoda, <laughs> right? So you know. <coughs> I don't know that 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 stuff is a little is a little crazy to me. There's a, there's another thing in this movie where they they set up that uh, when they close the front door, the sword that's hanging on the wall falls off the wall. You yeah. saw that, right? Mm-hmm. So they set that up and they do it a couple of t- they do the gag a couple of times, and then Billy walks in, uh, and we're not at the scene yet, but Billy walks in when his mom is being attacked by Stripe or by by one of the other gremlins in the Christmas tree. Yeah. And he walks in the door, and instead of, like, seeing what's going on and freaking out and doing what obviously should have happened, where he goes in the house, looks around, doesn't know what to do, and then closes the door, and the sword falls off, and he's like, oh, shit, I'm going to get the sword, because I my attention was drawn to it, because right, it always because falls, it off, falls the wall. off the wall. He just walks in and sees his mom and just grabs the sword. It's like what you they you set you they set yourself up, up and, they missed and it. you missed it. But yeah, we'll come so to that. We're we're, like we're that. kind of all over this movie right now, like jumping back and forth. But you know, scene um, scene to scene, it's just kind of a we're just waiting for the gremlins to become gremlins. You know, and, Gizmo's real scared of of invasion of the body snatchers. Yes, this is this is the the famous uh, the seminal invasion of the body snatchers. He's which, got his three D glasses too, <laughs> which I don't. Oh, that's for the comic book. Yeah. I was about to say that that's not going to work for that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he's smart enough. He he just put them on anyway. How many scenes of Billy going to sleep with with Gizmo are there in this movie? Cuz that's at least the second one. A lot of them, but if I had a pet that was as cute and snuggly as that, I I'd fall asleep next that would, to it. That a would lot. be important it an would. important part of your relationship. I mean, that's an important part of relationship with my cat, so So here are the uh Gremlin pods, the <laughs> The gross, sticky, oopy goopy, nice practical effect. Yeah, pods I think they're that, nice. That they're pretty open. disgusting looking. Um, which, uh, of course, are 
probably supposed to be more of an homage to Invasion of the Body Snatchers than right. they are to Alien, but I think they look a lot like, like Alien. Alien but of course, yeah. Alien was the same thing. Alien, the Alien eggs in. You don't see them in Alien, so I guess it was Aliens, mm. uh, directed by James Cameron. That you 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 see what is very obviously an homage to Invasion of the Body Snatchers. So one of the things I was wondering about is why the why the Gremlins. Are capable of oh, well, they're not. Are they? Are they gremlins at this point? Are they always gremlins? Why the Mogwai are, all, yeah. are capable of tying up a dog with Christmas tree lights, There's but they're lot. not. But they're not capable of going downstairs and getting their own chicken, right? Or getting out of the box that they're in, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, I mean, couldn't they just wait until he goes to bed? any night and just yeah, go if, get their I mean, own food if if the mogwai are in or if there are some mogwai that are, that are innately mischievous which uh, makes sense like it makes sense as uh, as the folk tale, uh, tale creature that sure. they are as the like mythology behind we, we them we can accept that gizmo is a good one because he he is he doesn't he right he's gizmo, a, he doesn't want to turn into a disgusting exactly you know, like he he creature. in fact refuses to to <laughs> eat because the the gremlins chew through the the cords to Billy's uh, alarm uh, his uh, tricking Billy into thinking that exactly. it's not past midnight and then they and then they tell him to go get them food and he goes get goes and gets some food but Gizmo won't eat the food we're gonna have a couple of cute cameos right here so. Uh, uh, the mother, Lynn, the character of Lynn, is talking to her husband on the phone. And in the foreground here, if you walk, watch carefully, that is Steven Spielberg on a little go-kart. Huh. And behind uh, the character of Rand is Jerry Goldsmith in a cowboy hat. Jerry Goldsmith being the the uh, music composer for... Who usually is good. Who's usually great. There's also the time machine uh, in the background from that famous movie based on the H.G. Wells story, uh-huh, The Time right. Machine. Yeah. And in the next shot, we're going to see that it has disappeared. It is, in fact, time oh, travel. there it see, is. Right there. See, or there it isn't. But Goldsmith is still there. And, um, yeah, can we talk about the score real quick? Yeah. Do yeah, you feel like, do you feel it. the way I feel about the score? I mean, the the theme is memorable to me. The oh, theme... look, it's, uh, it's Judge Reinhold, and he's gone again. That's it. That's all we get to Judge Reinhold. That's it. That's so. it. That was a good arc, right? That was a good. Oh yeah, yeah. total complete, just really totally good. complete. Totally, we just absolutely tied up all the loose yeah. ends. Cyclical, exactly what you need. Yeah, sure. Anyway, so um, yeah, I think the theme is memorable to me because I, I would agree. Dun, 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 right, yeah, like you know exactly. it. You know, you're like, oh, Gremlins. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I, I'm not super familiar with this movie, but I can hum the theme now. Yeah, like absolutely. Yeah, sure. The 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 whole thing though, like the rest of it, and so, it's really amateurish, isn't it's, it? It is. That's a good word for it. It's it's really like emotionally on the nose, mm. and uh, like sometimes it has like those um, like those very Steven Spielberg esque kind of like sweeping family moments. It does. It does kind of cop the <coughs> the uh, the John Williams yeah. type thing, which I, I feel like Steven Spielberg after doing <laughs> Poltergeist, which was technically a Toby Hooper film, although we've talked about you know how we think that Steven Spielberg. Most people think this way that Steven Spielberg actually directed it. Right. Yeah. Um, I feel like Steven Spielberg when he's producing something and not directing it, he taps Jerry Goldsmith as maybe the budget John Williams because okay. he has some that ability to kind of cop that style when that, he's like this. Emotional. isn't my movie so i'm yeah, not gonna pay that, the money for it but emotional sweeping cine- super cinematic um style of music um but yeah this is not a win 
This is not mm-hmm. one of Jerry Goldsmith's best. In fact, of the scores that I know that he did off the top of my head, this is probably the worst one that I can think of. It's really, really terrible. Apart from the theme, which I is I like memorable. the theme. I think it's memorable as a theme. You know, I want it like I want the theme on like a Halloween mix CD or something, you know? Yeah. But um but no, oh, we also the missed rest Ro- of it I the, don't want. Uh, Walking through the convention with Rand. We'll see him again in another scene, but Robbie the Robot from Forbidden Planet right. walked through. Yep. <laughs> so this whole thing with the teacher here. Yes, yeah, so Billy has has brought, uh, well, he brought Gizmo and then he he duplicated Gizmo with a drop of water and left the duplicate with Mr. Hansen, the science teacher. Yeah, and then the the kid um, played by the but the Goonies kid. Corey Feldman. Yeah, he, he comes in and he's like, what, the putrid stage? <laughs> and then, like... Yeah, you know. it's like, like he doesn't know what the pupil stage is and it's fine. And then the teacher is like, no, it's a pupil stage. He's going through a metamorphosis. And then Corey Feldman's like, oh, you mean like a butterfly? It's like, okay, so now you know? So now you know, All right. kid. You just wanted to be gross and say the putrid stage. Anyway, so um, he just shooed Corey Feldman out of the room. And now he's going to fight the gremlin by offering it candy bars right? and failing. Um, science. <laughs> science. A true man of science. All things love candy bars. Um, however, this whole thing with the teacher and the bringing the teacher the weird thing that you have in your house and it attacking the teacher and stuff. Do, do you remember anything from your childhood that... It, that later must 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 be influenced by this. Uh, Think books. I don't know if you've read this one specifically, but I know you read in the series. Uh, is it a goosebumps? It's a goosebumps. Oh, uh, what is? I don't know. What is it? It came from beneath the sink. Okay. The one about the the girl and her brother that find the sponge underneath the sink, and it's like an evil sponge with a mouth and stuff, and it it's starts growing and it's horrible i think it feeds on like anger or something oh, okay um and and she brings it to her teacher and they have a, a battle with it in the classroom i, d- I don't remember anything about that any story. anyways it, i may have seen that episode of the tv show yes i i also remember i distinctly actually relate it to this because of the tv show because to me it even kind of looks like it in the tv show but anyways though yeah so it's i think it's book number 30 uh, wow! Came came right before Night of the Living Dummy two. Oh, those those masterpieces! Yeah, <laughs> wasn't it a trilogy? Night of the Living Dummy I, trilogy. I think, I think there were three. Um, but anyway, so it always reminds me of that this this whole thing with the high school teacher, and uh, and it came from beneath the sink in goosebumps. Yeah. So. This this character of Mr. Hansen, I mean, he he could be a good character, I guess. Like, I, I kind of, I kind of like this guy's performance. Um, yeah, I do too, actually. I think he names this gremlin Earl. I think he says the name Earl in this scene. But uh, yeah, not, uh, apart from that, none of the other gremlins have names except for, or do they? No, Stripe. I don't think they do. Stripe, Gizmo. Gizmo, and I think he says Earl in this scene. This is the fat one, right? The fat gremlin? Yeah, I guess so, but when he when it transforms, it's not fat anymore, right? And it's unfortunate, because he was pretty cute when he was fat. Yeah. But, yeah. Anyway. Uh, what was I going to say about the teacher? 
I was going to say something else. I'm not sure, but Billy's going to walk in and he's going to discover that Mr. Hansen has been killed with some kind of chemical injected into his ass by by way of hypodermic needle. In the original script, uh, he was supposed to die the same way, except he was going to have dozens of hypodermic, hypodermic needles in his face. That's better. But at the request of Steven Spielberg, who I feel just kind of shoves his dick into these productions and says, no, we're going to do it this way now. And I'm going to talk about a couple other ways that he did that again for this movie. Uh, but that brings me to a, one of the points that I want to talk about with this movie is that I feel like as a horror comedy, as a kind of horror family film, because this is rated PG and this is pre-PG-13. This is, this is PG? This is a PG-rated movie. Oh, wow. Um, I feel like tonally it's really all over the place and I'm not really sh- sure who it's for. And yeah. In that way, it actually kind of reminds me of Peter Jackson's Hobbit movies, the the newer <laughs> ones. Honestly, um, because going to go into this. Yeah, I am. Uh, I'm. I'm. You know, because oh, I God. I talk about it at length. I am not the biggest fan or a fan at all of Peter Jackson's new Hobbit films, um, and pri- oh. primarily because I feel like they're kind of. I feel like he's kind of turned into George Lucas with the prequels. He no. doesn't. Oh, please don't. No. No, they're not. They're no. not. They're not that bad. But I feel like they, it's, they're nowhere near as bad as that. Maybe not nowhere near because they're those are really terrible movies. Like really, <laughs> really <laughs> terrible don't. movies. Please don't. But no, I, I feel like for the same reasons, like he's there's no one there to tell him no anymore, which is the which is part of the reason why the the Star Wars prequels were so bad. I think that was a that was a big core reason why why those turned out so terribly. Um, but yeah, Steven Spielberg in this movie, he, he, he just makes, he just makes decisions that, uh, I don't know, like mitigate violence in some places, but he allows other things to happen. And, and the tone of this movie ends up being like, it's super family friendly. And there's a really kooky cartoony score by Jerry Goldsmith and, you know, this, that, and whatever. And it's all, it's a really good time. It's a romp with the family at the movie theater. And then there's like decapitations and like brutal stabbings and, uh, the character of Lynn, which were, who we're about to see become just a total fucking badass. Yeah. She's going to be awesome here. She kills a couple of gremlins in a, in some particularly brutal ways. Uh, stripes eventual death at the end of the movie is, is pretty gross. Uh, and I feel like it's not—it's not really a kids' movie. Like it wants to be, it acts like it is. Well, I mean, as a child who watched this, I was terrified of it. Yeah, exactly. I was utterly. Now, I was probably really young for seeing this when I saw it, but I, like I said, it—it it destroyed me for a couple of years, and I had to be much, much older when I revisited it and realized it wasn't that. Yeah, there's some really like visceral stuff in this movie. And then, of course, like we talked about before, you get these montages of gremlins just being really mischievous and and doing crazy things, uh, which are scenes that are really, really too long to be an adult that it were to be in a film that is, you know, has elements that should be an adult film. But they're but they're. The scenes, though, that you're referring to are adult scenes like kids aren't going to sit there. Kids, kids who were watching this in like you know 89 or 90 or whatever like if they're the appropriate age they're probably not going to really know what flash dance is anyways because i sure as hell didn't i had no idea what flash dance is i've still never seen it (laughs) um so like i don't think those references were for kids 
and this like, is, I mean, silly, th- there's like, some nice moments like the record play, like the Gremlins putting on the "Do You Hear What I Hear? Do You, you See What I See?" song. You can see their footprints in the dust. Yeah, like that that kind of stuff. This is like genuinely creepy. Like when it starts up and she's got this look on her face and she's got the knife and she goes downstairs. Like there are some nice horror elements to this that belong in a real horror movie not a family movie. Now, I say that to say that, you know, I guess rightfully so, this movie along with uh, Temple of Doom, they they both came out in the same summer, even though Mm -hmm. this is a Christmas movie, this came out in the summer of 84, uh, they helped to kind of create or create the need for a PG-13 rating. And I think think the first PG-13 rated movie came out the next year, and it was Red Dawn with Patrick Swayze. I think that's right. I think that was the first PG-13 rated movie. Um, But I'm I'm saying all that to say that much like the Hobbit movies, where in one scene you'll have dwarves singing and dancing and throwing plates and having a merry good time, or you'll have a a goofy elf played by a a, a rapidly aging Orlando Bloom hopping (laughs) (laughs) hopping along... These uh, these barrels, and it looks like a cartoon, and you go from that to goblins and things getting arrows through the throat and decapitations and you know bloody bat like bloody battles, real bloody battles. So like that, I feel like this kind of tonally, or at least with the tonal inconsistencies, feels a lot like those Hobbit movies. And I don't like that. Like it, uh, it feels like they're two different movies that were just smashed together just because. I don't know. I don't I don't think it's that bad. I don't think the the difference is that bad. I think the jokes and stuff, I think the silly stuff that's in here, there there really isn't much for kids. I think it's colorful like kids like, but I like colorful stuff. I like kooky stuff. No, I do too. Like so I don't I don't have a problem. I don't think this is for kids. I don't think there's very much about it this for kids. I I think there's even some comical stuff that's almost like Poking like, okay, at that? so behind Lynn right here in this scene, behind Lynn you can see that the gremlin is still on the counter trying to pull the knife out of its chest. Like it's writhing around trying to pull the knife but out I of its chest. But I don't think this is for as kids, she, though. As she cooks another gremlin until it explodes. And don't get me wrong. I think it's she, awesome. She's like my favorite character in this movie. Look at this. She pulls a knife out and she's like, nope, not good enough. We're Two knives. Dual wield. She's dual wielding <laughs> kitchen knives right now. <laughs> like this mom is a badass, certifiable. Like it's it's amazing. Yeah, it's true. I mean, her, then, her gingerbread cookie decorations were pretty crappy, so well, we had to know she was good at something. She's good at kicking ass. She's good ass. At, at kicking ass. That's yeah. Right. Um, the so, and then, and then she, then she kind of disappears, uh, cause Billy shows up and takes her to the doctor and says, here, stay here for the rest of the movie. And, and you know, she does. She obeys. She, ob- she obliges. <laughs> but um, there, there was actually supposed to be a scene where, uh, like a close up rather of the, the, uh, gremlin on the counter trying to pull the knife out of its chest. But again, at Steven Spielberg's insistence, no, 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 that's, that's too far. Let's, let's move right on to the exploding gremlin in the microwave screaming and, and in pain and writhing around. So um, in this scene we, we talked about earlier, uh, she's going to be attacked by the gremlin inside the Christmas tree. And then Billy walks in and totally ruins the entire setup for the sword falling off the wall. That they, that they, because they just don't use it. Yeah. But what I'm saying to you, though, is that I don't think that there is very much in here that, that is for children. I don't, I don't really see why you have a problem with, with this movie being like not knowing who it's for because I think it's obviously for adults. I think they even make some jokes. It almost like it's kind of 
an adult parody of those family kind of movies where, uh, for instance, in the very beginning of the movie, when he goes out and he's buying a present, a Christmas present for his boy, right? His boy's like in his 20s, in his mid 20s. Yeah. It's silly. Why is he out buying a Christmas present for it's, my boy? It's silly, but I, I like. I, I think I think it's silly. I think it's kind of poking okay. fun at family films. It's silly, but I wish that it was more committed to making a parody of family films for adults, because it's it's not committed to that. It's trying. Well, it's not committed to anything. But I don't think that it has that's an a age. Very, that's a very true thing. It is not committed to. <laughs> but anything. I don't think it has an age problem. I don't think it has an audience age problem. I think that people had a problem when they went to go see it and they didn't know who they were showing it to. You know, like maybe my parents shouldn't have let me stand in the hallway and watch it. Well, so imagine if to be traumatized for you. Imagine if like the family stuff tonally was no different, but this movie had a bunch of curse words in it and none of the violence was mitigated at all and it was all like at right, face but then, value. But but then it, I get what you're saying and yes, that would be a better movie. I agree with that. It would be it would, a better movie. It would movie. be a more successful satire of However, family films. I still don't think this is like a, I don't think there's stuff in here that's like a kid's movie. I don't see what parts of this are like a kid's movie. Even when the gremlins are just being dumb, they're still so disgusting looking they're still so discomforting to look at that that it's, it's not it it's is not so obviously it's for not kids. for children it is so no, obviously for i don't kids. think so it absolutely so. is they no go i don't on, they i think go it's for adults for so who are sitting there long. having a beer and cracking up because they're smoking and stuff the gremlins are smoking it was 1984 sweetheart it was 1984 <laughs> and getting drunk right 1984 it was 1984 <laughs> I don't think it was that a different. It was a different it. world. <laughs> like really, it was. Um, I do. I do want to talk about uh, Mr. Futterman when we get to him. I guess he's not going to show up for. I don't know when. When is his scene? I'm. I'm not even sure. But right now, Billy is following Stripes' footprints to the local YMCA, where uh, where basically events will will happen that will cause the hundreds or thousands i don't know how many gremlins exactly do there end up being mm, well i i guess we're supposed to assume that all of them die in the snow white fire so well it's enough to fill a movie theater and if we can assume movie theater capacity is like 300 or something like that so about 300 i would say around about 300 sure. gremlins sure why not now they made how many gremlins for this movie do you know i have no idea I don't know either. I was hoping you did. No, but I know that they each went. I, they I, they had to make at least like thirty for some of the shots that we see. Yes, where I, all the gremlins are unless moving they're together. composite but shots. What do you mean by that? that where like, they copy them, they they just t- take multiple shots and and combine them together. But I mean, like where they're all in the same, like when they're all in the bar together, and you get a really wide view of the bar, and you can see them all. Um, sitting at the tables and stuff mm-hmm. and they're all moving independently and have different costumes on and, right. and stuff and i think in those scenes it looks pretty obvious to me that they're all definitely their own gremlins yeah i mean maybe maybe i'm wrong but it looks well, like maybe. maybe they made like 20 of them or, or more i know that word on the street is that each gremlin puppet uh cost between 30 and forty thousand dollars to make each one 
And they were so valuable and so desired by like the crew and the people working on this movie that were like, you know, because when you have a lot of something, a lot of a certain type of prop, the chances that one of them are going to go missing is a lot higher because someone wants to keep something, some piece of memorabilia from their, you know, their work on the film. Uh, they at the end of the day, they would have everyone like pop their trunks in the parking lot of the of the studio uh, and look and see if anyone had stolen uh, a gremlin because they were they were so expensive that they just couldn't afford to let people walk away with a $40,000 puppet. Gosh. You know. So now that um now that Stripe has multiplied and made the I don't know 300 odd gremlins, uh I I guess we can assume this movie is going to pick up and and go. Is it? Is it going to pick up and go and it's just going to oh, get yeah. crazy now? Yeah, no. Oh, did you see a Christmas tree? I didn't see a Christmas tree. I think I did. I think I saw did some you? lights on something. Yeah, maybe. So maybe maybe they did show that he had swindled a Christmas tree out of the guy on the lot. And this sheriff is a drunk. Yeah, he's he's like, <clears throat> it like he says to him, "You're drunk." He says to the sheriff. I mean, they have no respect for their positions whatsoever. I mean, it's unbelievable. Mm. Well, you've got like in the true meaning of the word. I just don't believe that these are real people. This. uh Billy walking around in the YMCA, though, was, to me, a little bit, uh, uh, or and walking through the snow, too, with the sword, was a little bit reminiscent of, of Luke Skywalker on Dagobah with Yoda in his in the little backpack during the training sequence. Um, there's another thing that I just thought of that, uh, you know, keeping in, <laughs> keeping in true form with how this movie just drops things. Oh, here's the Futterman scene. We'll talk about it in a second. Um... The fact that was our 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 clip to our oh our that's right that's right it picture. was our clip uh, it was our um our hint our hint from uh, from this last week couple weeks ago when we put yeah, up the where, uh, the when the gremlins shot. were running down the street there and they were were they claymation in that scene they looked like they were claymation maybe uh, uh yeah I, I yeah I think they I think they were uh, where they were running down the street in between the cars yeah that's right and uh, I think <laughs> we only had uh. One person uh, guess it, and it was uh, uh, Jessica Kyra Lambert, uh, a girl I went to to college with. So cool, good job, you guessed it. Um, so so I was trying to find out how many gremlins were made, and I couldn't find it out quickly. Uh, but however, I did just look up a really crazy fact where apparently gizmo the gizmo puppets were so frustrating to the crew because they were smaller and they broke down a lot and they were such a pain in the ass that the crew created a list um known to them as the horrible things to do to gizmo list and the scene in which the gremlins hang gizmo on a wall and throw darts with him was to a part of satisfying the crew's <laughs> desire that they do that because wow, it was on the list. Terrible. They wanted to see Gizmo have darts thrown at him. Um, that's so sad. I, 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 I can't not mention the fact that on Twitter we also had another uh, a fellow movie podcast, the Movie <laughs> Madness podcast, also guessed correctly based on the hint that this was Gremlin. So we did have two people guess correctly. Okay. So go cool. check out their podcast. It's a, it's a good podcast. Um, so here, uh, our xenophobe is, yeah, is going to be proven correct. That was, and that's something that was set up earlier that we didn't talk about. But his whole arc, which is strangely, he's one of the few characters in the movie that actually gets a complete arc. Although I, 
really hate how his arc is completed. Uh, every single scene that he's in, he is talking about foreigners and how yeah. he hates foreigners. He hates foreign-made cars and how he laments the fact that his American-made uh, snowplow is full of foreign, foreign replacement parts. parts. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, and you know he's messing with the TV, and he's talking about how they should have gotten a Zenith and not this foreign TV. And he switches on some French movie, and he starts saying foreigners, 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 foreigners. He's obviously a xenophobe, right? Right. And then in a previous scene when Partic- he was particular hate in my heart for those kind of people too. Yes, yes, exactly. Being like, li- I have n- living living as a foreigner for yes, the last four I have and a half no years. No patience for bigots. Yes, yeah. no patience whatsoever. <laughs> um. And in a previous scene at, at Dory's Tavern when he's drunk and Kate is kind of ushering him out and trying to get him to go, he starts talking about gremlins. Um, is he even prompted to talk about them at all or does he just start saying gremlins? Uh, I think he's talking about his snowplow being messed up and that's when it, when it comes okay, up. Okay, right, right. So he starts talking about <laughs> gremlins because his snowplow is messed up and he says that, you know, foreigners, as he says, uh, would put gremlins into airplanes to mess with them during World War II. Like that's that was a that's a mm. famous piece of, of, of folklore from that time period. And uh and then his arc comes to an end when he gets attacked by the foreign gremlins. That actually I mean the movie actually sets up that they do come from a, a, a curio shop in Chinatown sold right. by like so. a stereotypical Chinese man so and a and a short they're round. Brought over yeah, by foreigners. Brought over by foreigners, mm-hmm. and they attack the xenophobe that's afraid of things that are foreign. So he, I mean, the script is like he's basically totally justified. Exactly, the script is telling us that his xenophobia was correct. It was yeah. justified the entire time. So Which is just a terrible message. Yeah, like the, the movie's so. racist. <laughs> I mean, it's racist for other reasons too, but but that also. Um, I, I just realized that you, you you talked about the the kid at the beginning of the movie kind of looking like short round. Yeah, that um, was the, not just because he's Chinese, but he wears like no, a blue baseball cap. I was, and a I shirt. was not saying that because he was Chinese at all. I was saying it because of Temple of Doom, right? Well, because it's the same year as Temple of Doom, and because we get the indie picture later on the billboard. Yeah, of course, and the 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 local uh, the local radio announcer uh, Rick Rick Rockin Rick Rialto or yeah. something like that. Uh, his billboard is in the Indiana Jones font style, and he's dressed up like Indiana Jones with a microphone cord around yeah, him. Yeah, that was like the a reason whip. I was saying it is because I mean, it which was, is just, it was just too much, just more Spielberg wanking, right? I, I mean, he I just really can't... think like I I wasn't saying like little Chinese boy. I was saying like absolutely, he's short round. He's just he he's is dressed short round. like him. Yes. He looks yeah. <laughs> That's okay. So here's here is one thing I don't like about this movie. Um, I don't like that we paint the guy with the dog as the good guy and the evil lady as the cat lady. I, I don't like that. I do kind of love that the greedy old lady names all of her cats after, after money. After different <laughs> that, types that of is, currency. That is, that is pretty funny. Like she's got a ruble and a, a dollar bill. She mm-hmm. calls one of them dollar bill. One of them, does she call one of them like a drachma or something <laughs> like that? I, I don't know. but uh, Yeah, that is pretty funny. I think that's pretty great. But yeah, so Mrs. Deagle, who actually looks for whatever reason, a whole lot better at home than she does, yeah. like, all gussied up. Like, she looks younger, and mm. I don't know. And I, not as evil. Not as evil when she's just at home with her hair put up in a bun. But the, uh, yeah, the gremlins are are messing with her stair climber thing, the thing that, so she doesn't have to climb the stairs on I her own. I guess so, yeah. 
the thing that, <laughs> as the meme says, the thing that drives her up a fucking wall. <laughs> um, and when she gets on it, she's going to uh, hit the turbo button. Or it's not the turbo button, but it's the go button. And it's going to... It's going to launch her out the window and she dies horribly. Yeah. But, you know, that was coming to her, right? Because she's the evil character in the movie. So right, who wants to kill the main it, character's but, dog. Yes, exactly. But the same thing didn't happen to other characters that we expected it to happen to. It's very disappointing. Well, at least she doesn't disappear like most of the characters in this movie. That's true. No, that's what I'm saying is that, you know, it's good. It's good she dies horribly. I think, unless it's already passed, it, I don't think it has, though. I think Corey Feldman's character, uh, his arc com- is completed when uh, he's standing in the window of his bedroom just shooting gremlins with a slingshot. Yeah, I guess that's his story arc right there. That's it. He did it. Good job. What's that's that have it. to do with him? What did we, what did, what, did what, we learn what anything about to, him? To give us that scene. I don't know. We we when we learn things about him as a character, we learn that he works for probably his dad at the tree lot, where he wears a a Christmas tree costume, and he delivers. I mean, trees. shouldn't it shouldn't his like you know he also whole, whole he also, story culminate in something to do with Christmas trees or something? Then sure, uh, and the uh, yeah yeah or, sure or, or using like his stupid costume to his advantage or something? Yeah, something like that. I mean, just, just, like the, hides. just the same way that like Rand, he's an inventor, so he has all of these different kind of inventions right. around and the why, house. Why didn't we kill the gremlins with, a, like, I thought it was cool she put it in the microwave. And I guess she put it in the blender, too. But, but those are just we, regular. shouldn't we have killed the gremlins with, like, the orange uh, juice maker and stuff like right, that? Right, the one that goes crazy with and, the, like, sprays With the bathroom buddy? Everywhere? Shouldn't we have yeah. found a way to kill a gremlin with the bathroom buddy? Or just another invention. Mm-hmm. There a- should be, if there are kooky inventions all over the house, that's how we should be killing the, the exactly, gremlins. Exactly, like Home Alone, this motherfucker, mm-hmm. please. Yeah. But, yeah, so here's Corey Feldman uh, shooting, he was shooting gremlins, and he cut the wire that one was hanging on, some string of Christmas lights that one of them was hanging on, and that's it. That's all we get from Corey Feldman for the rest of the movie. Um. I mean, I guess I guess this in order for a lot of this stuff to make sense, this movie probably would need to be in its original Look, two the, hour the and truck 40 drives into cut. the into the Allstate insurance building. Oh, did it? Yeah. Oh, that's there. There. This whole scene of the chaos uh, ensuing. Some of the moments are pretty cute, <laughs> like the truck driving into the insurance building. Also, outside of Mrs. Deagle's house, we saw a sign for her real estate hours. Oh, Do you know yes. what her hours were? Something really short, like 10 30 a.m. to 11 15 a.m. <laughs> she's open for 45 minutes. Yeah. Um, so Billy's inside his car now, which at the beginning of the movie we established as a piece of shit, and he can't get it to work. But it's working now. Until this moment where he comes out, and it works when he needs it to work, and then he goes, and the next time he tries to turn it on, it doesn't work again, and that's the last we see of the car. And that's it. Yep. Like, I, I don't know. <laughs> okay. Good job. Sometimes works, sometimes doesn't. So now we've got we've got Rand, his dad, who's on the way back from the the uh, uh, the invention convention. Mm. You like that? The yeah. Invention Good convention. Job. I'm proud of you. And he's gonna he's gonna try to sell this uh, one of his inventions, a smokeless ashtray, to this this station attendant, which comes back in a joke toward the end of the movie, which is the last half of what is a three part joke, the middle part of which was cut out. 
So at the end of the movie, the the Chinese man from the curio shop comes back to take uh, to take Gizmo away again. Mm-hmm. And when Rand tries to give him another model of the of the smokeless ashtray, he says that he's already seen it because the guy at the gas station tried to sell him the one that Rand is now was now trying to sell him in that scene. So there was there were three scenes that were supposed to call back to the smokeless ashtray, the one where Rand gives it to the gas station attendant, the one where the gas station attendant tries to sell it to the Chinese man, and then the final scene where Rand gives one to the Chinese man and he refers to the station attendant. But they got that middle part out, which I guess is is fine. I mean, it's not a very good joke to begin with, but, you know, whatever. So this whole scene is uh, the start of what you have a lot of problems with. This endless just... Um, why is she still working there? Why is what's her name? Kate? Katie? Kate, yeah, Kate, yeah. Why why is she serving the gremlins alcohol? I don't understand why she hasn't left. I don't know, but she's pouring them drinks and she's lighting them cigarettes. Um well, I you, guess she's like I get the feeling she can't get away now, but how did this start? Did they just start coming in and ordering drinks and she felt like she couldn't get away immediately and she just, you know, went with it? This it goes on forever. You've got like the gremlin who flashes her, and the gremlin who the, they're hanging from the fan, and the gremlin who's playing arcades, and the one that's drinking right from the beer tap, and then, then you've got, got the poker Spike table, Spike, and a bunch of guys playing poker, and then here's like a f- what we can I assume is a, a it's female a lady gremlin because she's got lipstick on, and as I understand it, there is actually a female gremlin in the second movie uh, that has like long green hair. <laughs> Um, but I, I, I don't know. And then, you know, uh, Stripe, did he just shoot somebody or is he about to? Yeah. He's, he's going to shoot another gremlin for, I guess, cheating at poker. So we've got all of these shenanigans going on and you think it's coming to an end. And then you get like the Casablanca thing where you've got this one, one gremlin sitting in a corner table with a cigarette and wearing a fedora, and then there's another gremlin who is playing. Does a with, puppet show does for a him? little puppet show for him. <laughs> and then right after this is the flash dance spoof, and it just keeps going and going and going. This is yeah, it has. T- come it's on, gone on for a while now. And, but, you, I mean, and you don't think this is for kids? No, I don't think it is for kids. I think it's for immature adults, as we all should be. Okay. All right. I mean, I, I guess I won't disagree with the, that. Immature adults are adults who've, you know, sat there and had a couple beers and uh, are hoping their kids are in bed, not in the hallway watching the movie. And now, and one of the things that's very well established in this scene in particular is that most of these... Bright lights, bright lights. Anyone? He's he's sticking yeah. his finger yeah, in a that socket. That is a lot of bright light, right and there. bright light is like right in his face, and he's just laughing and no one, about it. No one's freaking out. We established that most of these gremlins are 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 smoking because they're smoking and drinking and they're crazy. So Phoebe Cates lights a match to light a gremlin's one of three cigarettes that's in its mouth, and it keeps like you know retracting until from- it falls off the chair. From because, the flame. Because it can't stand the light. Right. And then she proceeds to flash the camera and make her way out of the building. So how exactly did all of these gremlins get their cigarettes lit in the first place? I don't know. Maybe they closed their eyes. 
<laughs> yes, maybe they did. Which is what you should just do during this scene so you don't cause such a fuss about it. I'll just close my eyes through the entire movie. <laughs> How about that? I'll just take a nap the next time it's on. I think that that would be time better spent. I really, really don't like this movie. I'm so- I can tell. I'm I sorry. Really, like I really I, don't like it. I don't mean to be a fuddy-duddy, and I don't mean to be the, the idiot, you know, the, the, the douchebag that doesn't like gremlins because I'm too good for it or some shit. This too is, silly for you. This is a bad movie. No, I agree. It's not a good movie, but but I still think it's fun, though. I think it's funny. I mean, not funny. It's not like, haha funny. No, it's not really that funny. But like, like, I get that it's supposed to be a comedy, but no, it's not that funny. But I don't know. I don't hate it, though. I, like I said, Gizmo's so cute that I can't help but enjoy every scene that he's in because he's so adorable. So I guess Billy turned off his car um, to rescue Kate, and now he can't turn his car on again. So they're going to have to run across the square into the bank where we get just a, an inexplicably fucked up scene of Kate explaining why she doesn't celebrate Christmas. And it's not because she's Hindu, as he says oh earlier my God, in the movie. Right? <laughs> what are you, what are you Hindu, Hindu or something? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's really bizarre, isn't it? Like, like I know that this is supposed to be riding the line between like, oh, it's kind of a violent, naughty, edgy, you know, horror movie, and then also kind of a family friendly kids movie with some comedy and some light stuff in it. But this story that she tells about how her dad died is so profoundly fucked up. I when, when I watched this movie last week, like preparing for this, I was speechless. I could not believe that she was... And leading up to it, she's telling the story, and she's a terrible actress, so I'm just <laughs> <laughs> listening to her, you know, just spit out her lines as well as she possibly can, and she's building up to this moment, and I'm like, no, she's not going to say that the smell coming from their chimney was there was her missing father and then she goes on and starts talking about how and she's telling the story now she says that her and her mom were decorating the tree and they're waiting for her dad to come home from work and he never came home and then they smelled something inside the chimney and the firemen came and and broke into the chimney top and pulled it out and they were like well we thought it'd be a cat or a bird but nope it was dad. <laughs> it was dad's rotting corpse dressed in a Santa suit, arms full of presents, who had slipped coming down the chimney to surprise them and broken his neck, dying instantly and getting stuck inside the chimney. Yeah, it upset me when I was a kid, but but even when I was a kid, like after I heard it, I still couldn't understand like like the physics of it, you know? Because, I mean, all chimneys are really just like the size of a plate where they're open. Yeah, they're real small. I don't think I've like ever seen Like, it's hard it. for even just a bird and stuff to get in there and build a nest. Like, that's a problem. Like, a bird building a nest or like a squirrel getting in it, that's yeah. like a reality. But beyond that, it's... So, I'm just wondering, as a kid, after... after I was in later elementary school when I watched this with my eyes open um, and and listened to this story. I remember having the impression that chimneys were like huge, that a person could climb down them. But then I later realized that, no, they aren't. So I don't understand how this story happens. Maybe they have a special chimney. 
Uh, do do you, is there is there any? Let's talk about this from a kind of uh, Christmas context and a Christmas context and a Christmas perspective. Is there any good reason for this movie to take place during Christmas? Is there anything about? I don't know it? all her stories and stuff about Christmas, but I feel like but that's what, after. That's an that's afterthought, an, it's right? An afterthought, yeah. So no, nothing. So what about this movie, either thematically or story, even story wise? I don't know that it, that Gizmo was a present. If if we had done the thing where like we had gotten them four children all around the world, right? You know, or exactly. all around the town or something like that as Christmas presents, then sure, that would make sense. I mean, it it even would have made sense. Like I, I feel like there's a there's a, a better story here where the whole Peltzer pet thing did take off and they started selling the gremlins and all these people had the gremlins in their house and that's when chaos started and that's when people started, you know, started feeding them after midnight and not taking care of them as people are prone to do with pets. Right, um, and like the Chinese guy comes in in the end and that's part of his moral in the first place where he's saying, you aren't ready for the Mogwai yet. Yeah, exactly, and and that, that whole thing. But then, you know, there's another element of that story which I think could have could have worked where... You know, the the chaos that Rand introduces into people's lives by marketing these gremlins, he can also be the redemption for that. By having some invention. By or having something some invention that, that people that's really popular around the holidays that people are also buying and then word gets out that you have to use this thing to kill the gremlins or you have to use this thing to change them back. And it's something that he figured out that had like another purpose, you know, yeah. an, another application. No, I get or what something. you're saying. Like it makes sense. And like there's another story They're, here that's right. not so isolated. I'm sure there were a lot town. of other stories here that could have happened. Let's talk about some stories that happened because of this story. Okay. Let's talk about um, some of the, the spinoff movies, like the 1984... Oh, did, did you hear that, uh, that excellent line of dialogue that the gremlin just said? I'll quote it for you. Milk duds. <laughs> that was good it. Job. You did a good job. All right. Again. You're doing a really good job. Please tonight. continue. Um, well, so I get. I guess I don't know if it can be a spinoff though, because it was in the same year. So it must have been one of those things where, I guess they got wind of it and like wrote a movie really fast to try oh, and put it like out at the same time. Oh, is it like a Tombstone Wyatt Earp yeah. Dante's Peak Ghoulies. volcano Ghoulies thing? was also 1984. Wow. Okay. All right. Um, and Ghoulies is the one you watched that one with me, right? Yes, I did. Ended up being about the cult. Yeah, like the guys they like, moved. I the... feel like the Ghoulies marketing, especially the movie poster, was more of a response to Gremlins than the movie itself because the movie itself doesn't actually doesn't really have like any the movie poster is them coming all. out of the toilet and that never happens in the movie. Yeah, I know, and that, I kept waiting for it because that looked like the most interesting. Exactly. Thing, yeah, Ghoulies right? is it does not feel like Gremlins at all. Like I feel like the marketing was yeah, trying. No, it was to like a like a satanic thing or like a cult yes, thing. Yes, they move into a house and then the guy becomes obsessed with controlling these demons that right. that the previous owner had summoned or something like that. It was bad though. Um can we just say that that I don't think the Walt Disney Company way would, worse than this would ever 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 give anyone the rights to Snow White and the Seven Dwarves to feature in their movie that has all of this violence and stuff in it? Yeah, how did that happen? Uh there's a story behind it. I'm I'm not sure what it is though. Huh. Um, I think okay. it's in my notes. I'll look it up. So Keep next, uh, Critters. I haven't actually seen Critters, and now I totally have to see it because I had I had heard about it before, and I've never gotten around to seeing it. And God, I love watching really bad horror movies. So um, 
so I need to watch Critters. But that one has to do with little aliens on a farm, I guess. Now, the next one I have seen, Hobgoblins. It was in 1988. Did you watch that one with me? I don't remember. Maybe. I, I think I fell asleep. Um, so Hobgoblins is the one where the creatures escape from a studio vault and they go crazy around the town. Um, I recall a lot of the scenes. I watched it this year uh, during during um, October when I only watched bad horror movies for like a month straight and then just totally wore myself out on them. I think I watched seven or eight of the Puppet Master movies that month. Yes, you did. Also, we can assume <laughs> here uh, from from uh, Stripe reading the sign across the street that gremlins can read. That's good. They can read English. That's good. How about that? Also, we can uh, assume that because Kate knew exactly where the boiler room to the movie theater was, this must be her third job. Ah, it yes. Must, it must, must be. be her third job. Also, how did Billy know that the gremlins would be in the theater? Um, I th- maybe that he heard them singing from Did inside he? or something. No, he didn't start know. singing until he was inside. I don't know. <laughs> nope, not. <laughs> Where should we go next? I don't know. Let's go here. Oh, turns out it's the right place to go. Let's keep well, the movie they going. They they got it then. They figured it out. So um, yeah. anyway, so Hobgoblins is uh, having not seen Critters, I. I can't say it's the worst out of all of them because I don't know how bad Critters is. But, I mean, just the premise of Critters sounds more interesting than um, than what Hobgoblins was, which basically was like, for some reason, the Hobgoblins made everybody's fantasies become real life except then go bad in the end. Huh. I, don't, I don't know how that happened because I don't know, like, what relation the Hobgoblins had to, like, the people and why I don't know. Anyways, I remember one of the characters was into this sex line and and the girl like shows up but then she was evil or something like that. Huh. I don't know. Okay. It was it, it, a lot well, of the, important well, scenes before took we get place past it, does, does the does the movie theater look familiar? Cuz it should. Like that shot in particular is like the exact same framing of Oh, right here. Yeah, when uh when, when Marty, Marty McFly comes mm-hmm. back to the future in the first movie and crashes into the movie theater right there. Yep. It's the exact same <laughs> I set, thought the Gremlins were cute shot. when they were running out of the building with the bags on their head. Oh, yeah? You like that? Mm-hmm. Okay. I thought that was cute. Anyways, it was Hobgoblins was... It was one of the worst movies I've seen ever. Worse than Slugs the movie? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Slugs the movie was great. That was a good movie. I liked the part when the slug was like... <laughs> Tried to bite his finger. Yeah, that was my favorite part. Um, Hobgoblins was terrible. There was this whole scene in the front yard where they had like a man contest and they were two of the guys were like hitting each other with sticks. Oh, I did. Th- I think and I did watch then, that. And like with the you. girl's boyfriend loses and she's like totally not into him anymore because he lost in this stick fight in the front yard. You know, we're now talking about a different shitty movie than the, <laughs> than the shitty movie we're watching. Yeah, but it's a spin off of this movie. Oh, so okay. That's it's why. Spin off. Spinoff? In- inspired by. Sure. Whatever. They were trying to make money off of Gremlins. They were riding the, the Gremlins, you know, popularity wave. Um, yeah, lots, lots of little stuff in this movie that uh, I feel like is totally Steven Spielberg's fault for not working. In the original script, Gizmo was actually supposed to be the one that transformed into the evil Gremlin and was the leader of the bad Gremlins, and then they had to kill Gizmo. 
Um, That's really sad. But Steven Spielberg was like, no, I was going to sell some toys and uh, people like a cute, cute thing. So don't kill him. Don't don't make him a bad one. I mean, story wise, it makes how, no sense Spielberg whatsoever. Sounds, it makes no sense that one of them just magically is, you know. Not evil. Well, I guess that's not true. No, right? it's fine. They can no, all have. They can they all can have their have own personalities, personalities, and that's fine. Except that none of them have a different personality, except except for Gizmo. Well, the, the, he's he, the only one who's not evil. Well, one of the reasons, and you were talking about how the crew hated Gizmo because it he didn't work right. The reason he didn't work properly is because it wasn't decided until they were already shooting, and after the Gizmo puppets, you know, the animatronics and everything had already been made. Steven Spielberg had the brilliant idea to not only not make Gizmo uh, transform and keep him in the movie for the entire time because he was cute, which subsequently gives Gizmo like nothing to do throughout the entire movie until the very end of the movie where Steven Spielberg is like, I put him in a little car, make him drive around and do that. We'll just (laughs) shoot a pickup where he's watching the Clark Gable picture and, you know, just it'll make sense. Don't worry about it. And also he's going to pull the shades and he's going to be the one that actually kills Stripe. The the person who designed the animatronics, the person who designed that puppet, did not design Gizmo to do any of that shit. He only designed him to do the stuff that happens in the first half of the movie before the gremlins transform because he was supposed to transform. He was supposed to be Stripe. Right. Um, or, you know, the equivalent, the, the leader of the mm-hmm. gremlins. So at the end of the movie, you can see like his like when he's driving around, it looks really shitty and it looks extra shitty when he pulls the cord for the blinds to let the sunlight in and he gets dragged to the top of the ceiling and falls down. It's just the doll. It's like he it's like someone just threw it up in the air and like threw it against the ceiling and it just falls down. Like there's no movement, there's no there's there's nothing. There's no nuance to any of the I, I totally I totally agree with you. I totally agree that, you know, his animatronic animatronics are oh, kind of wanky. An- there was another thing. Did you see that the right ET there? The ET moment where he's sticking out of the stuffed. So animals. he's walking yeah. through the toy store, and there's a line of of stuffed animals right at the front of which. And as soon as I saw the stuffed animals, like when I was watching this, as soon as I saw the stuffed animals, like, I was e. like, "They're going to do e. an ET e. thing. E. He's thing. he's hiding in them like ET." The doll right in front is an ET doll. Yeah. And then Stripe comes through, like ET does in the scene from ET. Someone needs to put Spielberg on a fucking leash. I swear to God. Anyways, I totally agree with you that, um, that like story wise, it makes absolutely no sense that that Gizmo would be the only one to not be evil out of all these. Even in the sequel, they're all evil they're except all for evil. Gizmo. He's he's just an anomaly, I guess. Um, so it doesn't make any sense and it probably would make a better movie if he did turn evil too. It would probably be creepier to have this thing that you thought was cute and that you really loved that actually is evil. And right? how, how about this? Pragmatically, give the thing something to do. Right. No, give him I get something it. to I do get it. because he do- he doesn't. He hangs out in a backpack for like most of I this totally, movie. I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. I don't care. <laughs> At all. Because he's adorable. <laughs> because he is so cute. Oh, God, I love it when he puts the band-aid on his head. Oh, he's so cute. I, really I, I said this Gizmo. before, but why, why Howie Mandel? Was that was that even necessary? Like, I said that before, but I, it's, no. it just blows my no, mind. No, it could have been anybody. 
Because I didn't even know that about this movie. That's like, you know, I, I imagine that's something that anyone who knows movies and knows this movie in particular is like, oh yeah, Howie Mandel did the did the voice of of Gizmo. I mean, that to me is did like the three lines where he goes, bright light, bright light. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and that's and you, it? you've got some other like veteran voice actors, like Frank Welker does the voice of uh, of Stripe, I believe, who is Frank Welker's famous for doing tons of voices, but probably most famous for doing Fred and Scooby Doo. Uh, in you know the original Scooby Doo Scooby Doo uh, car- cartoon, and also the voice of Megatron from Transformers, Peter Cullen, who does the voice of uh, of, of um, Optimus Prime in the original Transformers cartoon and in the new movies as well. Um, he's he does voices for this movie. Like there's, there's a lot of good voice actors from the time period, a lot of famous voice actors. That makes sense. Like Howie Mandel was a comedian, and I know that he had some voice acting stuff. After this, I know he he did his kind of voice acting vehicle yeah, see, was the, the show. Here's the line. Yeah, and the guy that needs a certain kind of dame and Gizmo's driving around. What does that even mean? What yeah, does that mean did, in context there, of were Gizmo? Were we supposed to get like some relationship thing out of him and Kate or something like that? Like I, what? I, what are we? I, what are we stretching to here? I'm not sure. What was the point that I was making before? You were talking about Howie Mandel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And his, I guess his his voice acting vehicle after this was Bobby's World. But I don't know. Like I never knew him as a voice actor like i knew he did yeah i don't think it matters i don't think it matters because he it's like like two lines it's like george clooney doing the voice of the dog on south park like it sounds it sounds like a joke like someone's like oh we got howie mandel to do the voice of this thing that doesn't even really talk he barely speaks english one interesting thing about Howie Mandel doing the voice of Gizmo is that in foreign markets where this came out, Howie Mandel still did the voice and learned all of it, like the few lines that he had. He learned all of them phonetically. So, that's cool. you know, when this came out in different languages, I mean, but that's again, still he only had to Howie say Mandel. bright light. Right, exactly. I would like <laughs> to see like, the Japanese and like version make of this some and... like really cute noises when he's hurt. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, since we're here in Japan, of course, I'm gonna, I'm gonna track, down, track the, down the Japanese, the Japanese version. voice version and, and, uh, hear what Howie Mandel's limited Japanese sounds like. So Gremlin um, possibly comes from the old English uh, meaning to vex. And in folklore, Gremlin were, originally they were imps and they didn't have anything to do with like mechanical stuff because there weren't mechanical things before now. Right. So, So back in the day, Gremlins were were kind of basically just like imps. But sometime in the 1920s, British pilots started using the term to describe creatures that were sabotaging their aircrafts. Um, a lot of people credit it to even possibly World War One, but there's no print reference to verify that. Um, but they say uh, the first print reference comes from a poem from the 1920s. I think it's 1929. Hmm. Um, and then, and then Gremlins turned into what most people knew them as before this movie, which was like a me- like a mechanical uh, kind of trickster, some kind of creature that gets into things that are electrical or have engines or something like that and messes them up, makes them not work as well. Which uh, they do a lot in this movie. They do a lot of that. They mess with the traffic lights and they make cars crash and they do things like that. And and I think that's good. I think that's that's nice that like we tied it in that way. And that they're tricksters, that they're pranksters the way that imps are. <laughs> um Mogwai though, 
uh, besides being a Scottish post-rock band, yeah. <laughs> besides besides that, it is Cantonese for monster, evil spirit, demon, devil. Yes, in, and, and contains the the Chinese characters for uh, magic or spirit and demon. Mm. Um, in Japanese, it would be pronounced if if it were pronounced in Japanese, because in Japanese there is actually no combination for those two characters. But if you were to put them together, it would be uh, what would it be uh, Maki, I think. That's right, Maki. It would be Maki if you put those like two Maki together, sushi. like Maki Zushi, but not nearly as delicious. <laughs> um. Anyway, so. Yeah, this death scene, the death scene of... Uh, oh, God, it's gruesome. Of, Where his skin's melting off? Yeah. Originally, when he <laughs> comes back out of the fountain as a skeleton, uh, Billy was supposed to crush the skeleton with a baseball bat. Yeah. That would have been cool. Yeah, I guess so. Um, so, what was I going to say? In Chinese language biblical texts, they translate Satan in the book of Job to Mogwai. Yeah, I, I, I read that somewhere. And also, the water thing is possibly from real Chinese folklore with Mogwai, where the the creatures reproduce sexually, not by, you know, bouncing tribbles off of their backs. Yeah, but around, around like the rainy season or yes, something like that. it has to do with the rain because rainfall signifies rich and full times in the future. So oh, okay. they make certain to reproduce when it rains. So, you know, that's a tie-in for the water. Um. Don't know where they get the don't feed after midnight from because that's just the bright light thing. Um, I'm just going to assume is to make it so that the shitty puppets don't look as shitty. Just keep them in the dark all the time. Puppets. No, they look pretty good, right? I think some of the practical effects in this movie are pretty, I think the, pretty good. I think the gremlins, the transformed gremlins, I think look really good. I think the gizmo puppet looks kind of shitty. Like he's, are, he's, are, he's, are you making fun of Gizmo? He's adorable, but like the skin, like the like the the fleshy parts, like the mouth and the nose and stuff, look really like clay. Like it's. <sighs> why are you so sad? I mean, he's still cute, but he looks like a toy, like a mass-produced toy, I which I believe me. was probably the point. <laughs> Is this where Furbies came from? You remember those oh, stupid things? That's interesting that you say that. Uh, the the um, the Furby company was actually sued because it resembles Gizmo, Gizmo too so much. much. Um, but then eventually, I guess there was some deal struck where the the Furby company actually, whoever makes Furby, actually made a Gizmo version of Furby, so you can get a Furby that's Gizmo. Huh. Yeah. But no, they were sued because. The Furbies yeah. look too much like yeah, Gizmo. Yeah, they look... They and look talk like Gizmo. Straight up like Gizmo. You remember when everybody wanted one of those I do. terrible little things? I do remember that. Did you ever have one? I did not. I didn't want one. Okay. Good. Yeah. I, I think I had some family members that had one. Yeah, I was never interested in it. What was the... Th- they, they, weren't they like learning toys or something? Yeah, I always... I always. You could talk to them and they that, would learn your you know, name and stuff like that or something? I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, I don't know. I never had one either. Something really interesting, though, is that that uh, Steven Spielberg watched uh, the short films of a certain director and actually had chosen him first to direct this movie, but thought that he did not have enough experience to do a full feature yet. And that was Tim Burton. Oh, my gosh. Who I think probably would have done, done this movie. I think he probably should have done Gremlins. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, he would have done great with this. I think so. Early, early Burton. I mean, early Burton yeah. is. I'm a big fan of that of that early stuff. I think he would have been a good choice for this movie. So here we're we're trying to get our message across, but we aren't sure what it was. Um, yeah, the, what was the it Chinese exactly? guy has come back and has taken away Gizmo and says that they are not ready for Mogwai because they don't understand. And he also says that um, you do to Mogwai what your society does to all of nature's gifts. I don't understand what that means. Burn them when they're evil? Is that uh, is that what we do to all of nature's gifts? I guess so. <laughs> I don't know. The, the only thing Feed I, them after midnight? The yeah, the only thing I've learned from this movie is don't, under any circumstances, trust foreigners. <laughs> That's what I've learned. That That's is the true. point that they have driven home more successfully than any other point in this entire movie. And don't trust foreigners. Yes. Um, but because it is still a Christmas movie, have you have you heard of all of the ways in which this movie is similar to It's a Wonderful Life? Oh, I had heard something about this. So, so for example, they, they have... The towns have similar names, Kingston Falls and Bedford Falls. Uh, of course, the Christmas setting, there's a bank, there's a characters with the name Billy, uh, artwork is involved in some way, George Bailey and Billy Peltzer living with their parents, Murray Futterman's World War II stories, and the war breaks out during uh, It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, both Billy and George have a dog. Both towns have a heartless miser that try to that tries to control everything, uh, Mrs. Deagle and Miss, Mr. Potter. The Baileys run a family business while uh, while Pete Fountaine, who's played by uh, Corey Feldman, sells Christmas trees for his father. Then there's the door on George's car sticks while Billy's uh, Volkswagen is also you know temperamental when it wants to be conveniently for the narrative. Mrs. Deagle hassles the Peltzers while Mr. Potter Potter uh, hassles the Baileys. Uh, the reporters that try to take George's picture and Mrs. Peltzer taking Gizmo's picture and uh, Kate stunning the gremlins with a flash, uh, the, you know, the, the, the Polaroid. And mm. then Mr. Potter and Mrs. Deagle both like to foreclose on things. Both towns have a bar, uh, Martini's and Dory's pub. Then there are snow plows in Bedford Falls while Mr. Futterman, Futterman owns a snow plow. Both George and Billy receive personal calls at the bank. There's snow in both films. Some of these are really like super Yeah, personal. I'm getting that uh, Christmas feeling. carols, you know, because it's a Christmas movie. I feel like this is kind of a list of things that are in movies about small towns at Christmas. Yeah, yeah. Like you could probably do this with a lot of movies like that. I've I had I had read something online about It's a Wonderful Life and Gremlins, and I didn't do any further research on it. But now that you've read that, I'm glad I didn't because pretty sure that's just a list of mostly things that happen in small town Christmas movies. Yeah, but you know, in the original version of this. Um, the creatures actually killed the dog and they cut off the mom's head and threw it down the stairs. <laughs> For real? I'm glad that didn't happen because the mom is a badass. Yeah, she, she doesn't was. deserve to go like that. In fact, she and, probably should And I don't like it when animals die in movies. That makes me sad. Yeah. But yeah, so that's that's Gremlins. Not super recommended. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, everybody. We've got three more weeks of our Christmas uh, movies to do. So holiday movies as well. So uh, yeah, stay tuned. And um so now that we've reached the end of the movie, we'd like to read a five-star review that we received on iTunes. However, we did not receive any reviews on iTunes. In fact, we don't have any at all to read five-star or otherwise. So if you would like to leave us a review on iTunes, we'd really, really, really appreciate it. 
Um, but as always, you can find us on our website at popcornpoops.com. Please follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook if you'd like to receive updates about the show, including our weekly movie still identification game. Uh, if you have a question, comment, or movie request for us, you can reach us on our social media outlets or by emailing us at thepopcornpoops at gmail.com. Next week, we'll be watching and talking about Jeremiah S. Chechik's 1989 film, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. If you have any questions about that movie or related topics you'd like us to discuss, please contact us through social media or email. Thanks for listening, and until next time, take care. Bye-bye. We are the Popcorn Poops. Every week on the Incession Film Podcast, you can expect to hear reviews on all of the latest movies, big films, small films, and everything in between. We'll also do top three segments relating back to our main review. We discuss all of the latest movie news and rumblings, as well as have movie series and other fun segments. And we always talk about the films that we're watching and why you should watch them or not watch them as well. If you want to learn more about the Incession Film Podcast, check us out online at incessionfilm.com. You can hear our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, TuneIn Radio, and so much more. In fact, you can listen to everything we have straight from our website. Again, that is InSessionFilm.com. Download our podcast, check us out, and come join us every week. We'd love to hear from you.